3: Welcome to Speed City with John Massengill, Les Kaiser, and Jonathan Green. It's the fastest hour on the radio, Speed City.
2: All right, gearheads, welcome to the show. We are going to break down the F1 Spanish Grand Prix here a little bit more. And we are also going to be joined by a guest, Jack Hawksworth, here in just a moment, and uh, one thing that I want to make sure that we touch on is the fact that we are going to be talking a lot about Americans in Formula One, American influence in Formula One, American drivers in Formula One. We have four slash five drivers in FIA Formula Three. I mean, the latter system to Formula One doesn't get any more clear at that point. And with that many Americans in there and they did pretty well this weekend. And talented weekend, ones, too. And talented. That's right. And... Uh, Fantastic story with one Manuel Correa coming back after his after the horrific incident that he was in the middle of and injured and all that. So uh, it was really crazy. But we're going to talk all about that a little bit more later, a little later in the show. But I want to continue on the. Uh, let's talk about the Formula One Spanish Grand Prix today with Lewis Hamilton winning the race, Max ahead of Max Verstappen, primarily on the strategic maneuverings of Toto Wolf and team and with really an easy win for Lewis Hamilton and continuing his legacy, Jonathan. I mean, it's just, we talked about in the pre-race, but, you know, 100 podiums and now, what, 97 wins? So, really incredible, Lewis Hamilton.
4: It it truly is. And, I mean, I was was trying to wreck my brain as to a parallel in any other sport. And, you know, bar, you're talking some pretty heady heights. You know, you're talking about what Jordan achieved... Um, in his career, you're talking about what you know. Uh, Jimmy Johnson's done in NASCAR. Uh, it, it really isn't. It's so. Uh, it's a rarity. And in Formula One, there tends to be dominance like a Schumacher, because um, you know seven t- titles with Ferrari, you know with mainly with Ferrari and so on. You know, it's it, it, it's really hard to put a parallel there. And Hamilton is <clears throat> blasting a trail. Um, and and without putting, you know, putting too fine a point on it, he's done it against the odds. And what I mean by that is he came, you know, he came from nothing, quite literally. Yeah. And, you know, uh, he struggled and he worked it and he's been on his own. He's not from a wealthy family. His father took three or four jobs. And, you know, it, uh, that's what I think makes the story even better um, is that he's just done it against all odds.
2: Yeah. Yeah. Uh... Bob Varsha, uh, I want to ask you really kind of the same question, but I did notice this is his fifth consecutive win at Barcelona for Lewis Hamilton, and right. I think you even brought
1: that up in the pre-show. Mm-hmm. Yeah, tying Ayrton Senna, who won five in a row in Monaco, and yeah, um, yeah it's a huge achievement. Sixth overall victory, and uh, with his next win, I, I, I believe I'm right in saying that he'll um, he'll tie. Michael Schumacher's record for seven wins at a single racetrack, not necessarily in a row. But, you know, it's just another another facet in the gemstone that is Lewis Hamilton's ongoing career.
2: Yeah, just astounding. But uh, uh, well, guys, we do have our guest on the line. We want to bring him in via Zoom. We want to bring in uh, our guest. But Jonathan, let me let you introduce him. I think it would be most appropriate.
4: Well, finally, I've got somebody I can talk to about my my own <laughs> kin because he's he's a good he's a good northern <laughs> lad. I may be from Lancashire, but I forgive him. He's from Bradford in Yorkshire. And His name is Jack Hawksworth, and we're delighted to have him. He's currently racing uh, in IMSA, and he'll be racing again to defend his uh, Mid Ohio title. He's a bit of an expert there, and uh, yeah, um, season just kind of getting underway with two sort of anomaly races with the 12 hours and the 24. Um, but now we get down to the proper season, as it were. And Jack Hawksworth in a, in a great position to go for, to go for glory uh, with the Lexus team. Well, Jack Hawksworth,
2: welcome to Speed City jack hey guys how you doing thank you for uh thank you for having me on great great to have you and uh i want first off i want to get your take on the subject we've just been talking about formula one i want to ask you about being a race driver what is your level of respect or whatever for lewis hamilton
5: it's I actually just watched the grand prix i've not watched one for uh for quite a while so uh it was interesting interesting race I mean, obviously lewis has been hugely successful um you know lewis and, and the combination of that mercedes team has obviously been uh yeah been pretty kind of unstoppable the last few years um i'd like to have seen max and, and the, obviously have a little bit of a better count underneath him in that race it seemed like the mercedes was just so dominant right like uh they were talking about the strategy in the race, about you know, could should they have pitted or shouldn't they? But to be honest, they could have done any strategy in that race; it wouldn't have made any difference because the Mercedes was was so much faster than the the Red Bull car. And really, the only reason it was interesting was was because Max obviously got that great start. So was it, it was it was you know it was made made the race somewhat interesting, but the the kind of conclusion was kind of written in stone uh, so as soon as I saw the beginning of that first stint and, and how.
4: What about the achievement that Hamilton has done over his career? I'm trying to put a parallel. Um, you know, uh, you've grown up in the same era um, and you've watched his career, I'm sure. Um, there really is no parallel, is there? I mean, I mean, you know, you can talk about what Dixon's done in, in Indy and Jimmy's done in NASCAR, but gosh, you know, it's really hard to create a par- parallel to, to Lewis Hamilton's career in any other sport even.
5: Yeah, he's he, a massive, obviously massive amount of respect. He's obviously done an unbelievable job. Um, but with any of these things, it's it's not you know you can't just point out one guy was the was the reason uh, you know you, you win a race or you win a championship. It's uh, it's the combination of of Lewis of that team of people he has around him. Um, you know, and the car he's got underneath him and as a combination they've been been pretty un, unstoppable. Um but that's the case that's always the case with motorsport. It's not it's not one guy, it's it's a combination of many, many very intelligent people, good engineers, good mechanics, and a good driver. And it's obviously been really uh, exceptional what they've done over that especially the last kind of five or six years, that kind of dominance is is yeah, doesn't come around very often.
2: Uh, Jack speaking of massive amount of respect I got to talk about your career because you've had an amazing career just trying to scroll and scroll and scroll through all the championships all the (laughs) accolades really the Indy 500. Diverse too. Yeah and diverse and now racing in IMSA Uh, really just fantastic to have you on the show and and love your career but let's talk about where you are right now in IMSA and and uh, what's going on there
5: yeah thank you um i've been been in well I, my first IMSA race i actually did in 2014 uh, when i was still racing in indycar at the time uh, but then i began full-time in IMSA uh, beginning of 2017 uh, when i joined 3gt racing which was where the lexus program uh originated um and i've been there ever since yeah i've been been, been with lexus uh since 2017 obviously kind of seen the program grow together and whatnot but uh it was we had, a, we had a good run last year, we've had some good success and, and we're kind of looking to build on that um, this season. Um, but yeah, it's a lot of fun. I enjoy racing him, so a great championship and competition's tough, so can't complain.
4: Mid-Ohio seems to be your track. They've, they're going to name a corner after you if you're not careful. Um, last two races you've won there. Why there and what about this weekend, next weekend?
5: Yeah, it's an interesting one. Mid-Ohio, actually, like when I first came to the States, it was, I always enjoyed the track, but it was never particularly one where I used to run really, really well. I always used to look forward to the street circuits and, and they were always my kind of kind of tracks. Um, but for whatever reason, the Lexus has just been hugely successful at this circuit. I think our car tends to create quite a bit of downforce. Um, so with Mid-Ohio being kind of medium, high speed combination of corners and quite low tyre degradation, it does, it does suit, Suit our type of car, so uh, last few years there have been uh, have been awesome. So it's it's now, it's like the old saying goes: you always like the places you're successful, right? So now, yeah, Mid Ohio is one of my favourite. Hmm.
4: Jack, as a foreigner like myself, uh, and and somebody who's right in the thick of it as you are, um, you you race for Brian Herter. There's a lot of talk about Colton going to Formula 1. Is he the right guy? You've probably raced against him. You probably know him. Um, and, you know, we're, we're talking about Sergeant Fiddy Crawford career, all in Formula 3, all with a possibility. And there are a few others like Cameron Das on the outside. Um, but what, you know, what's your take on Mario Andretti getting involved and saying Colton Hurd is the guy? Um, do you think that's a possibility? And how important is that for American racing?
5: Yeah, well, actually, when I joined Brian, Brian Autosport, I guess Colton was in his first year of car racing. I think he just he was doing a few USF two thousand races. So he's always he's been, he's a bit younger than me, so we never competed against each other. But um, he, uh, yeah, I remember him. He was just he was like a fifteen-year-old, fourteen-year-old kid. I think uh, when 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 I was racing uh, for his dad's team. Uh, but now he's obviously he's he's he, you know he's he's kind of. Rolled through the ranks and done a super, super good job. And um, I've I followed bits of the IndyCar stuff the, the last couple of years, and uh, he certainly seems like the the guy who's come in and and, and been able to make uh, you know quite a statement. Him and um, the uh, Patel, uh, like the two young guys who seem to have come in and been been very, very competitive. So it's, so, I mean, it would be interesting to see an American in, in Formula One. I think that kind of uh, Formula One needs that to grow their american base i think everybody knows that whether colton whether i don't know if that's what colton wants to do um i mean the one thing i would would say is is that at such a high level of racing drivers tend to become specialized in what they're doing you become specialized with the type of car you're using on the type of tracks that you're driving on um and the difference between the guys is so small we're talking like a tenth or two is 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 the you know the, the difference between being successful and being not being successful and he's in a position right now where he's in a great car and a strong team in IndyCar. Mm. Uh, he knows all the tracks, he's, he's comfortable and he's probably got the potential in the next few years to really start to, you know, mount, mount a championship challenge and, and begin to rack up, rack up those wins and, and and perhaps championships. So even it would be a tricky decision for him, I would think, because if him to go to racing Formula One, suddenly now he's racing a completely different type of car, which is, you know, obviously next year's car is going to be different, but if we look at this year's car, a lot more technology on them than an Indy car, completely different styles of circuits and types of circuits, uh, different environment, uh, different strategies, you know, you don't refuel, all that kind of stuff. So it's a lot, it wouldn't, for him, he's probably going to, if it was an option, he's probably going to make a decision of, well, I've got to a very, very high level over here at the minute and I'm probably right on the the verge of beginning to be very, very successful or do I want to take a risk and, and go and learn a, a new trade, um, you know, on, on the other side of the world, all over the world, right? But um, I don't think it's as straightforward as – I think there's a decision. If if that is a possibility um, for, for him, then I think that there's it's still a decision that he needs to – would probably have to take seriously as well because you can go one or two ways. Jack, Bob Barsha here. Um, you obviously
1: have seen the racing scene on both sides of the pond. You've raced in a variety of different series. And I think you're spot on about how a decision has to be made by a young American driver if he wants to go over there and pursue a Formula One career. Is that an insurmountable object? I mean, Ron Dennis, when he ran the McLaren team, used to say the United States was the world's biggest island because, you know, we Hmm. thought we were the bee's knees and we didn't do anything else but race here at home. Um, And there are advantages to racing at home and being successful and sleeping in your own bed at night and all that sort of thing. How long? Would it take, say, a Colton Herder to go over there and overcome the fact that he hasn't done a lot of racing? I think he's raised a little bit over there, yeah, but yeah. as you say, you got to learn the tracks, you got to learn the machinery, you got to learn the guys you're racing against. How long would it take for a young driver to uh, to to gain that kind of experience?
5: Um, I think it's a combination of factors. Um, it would. It's definitely. I think as well. It's more that when you He's, he's in such a good place now. Where he's been with the team for a few years. He's been in the series for a few years and he's probably so, so comfortable now that he knows exactly, you know, how, what that car's going to do before it even does it. You know, he's engineering him. Probably on a, they probably know what they want from the car every weekend and every weekend they're able to just, everything just comes very, very easily and you're working on the really fine details. Now, if he went to Europe and and went and raced in a completely different series, there's no doubt that if he's, a, you know, he's obviously a talented talented guy and, um, he would he would get there, but it's just a, they would suddenly there's a lot of unknowns. You know, number one, what's the, what's the team going to be like? Who he's running with? Is the car going to be competitive? Um, you know, he's building new relationships with 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 the new guys, getting used to how the car reacts, all that kind of stuff. I don't know if you can put like a, a time frame on it, but I just know that racing, especially nowadays, is becoming very specialised. Where like guys are becoming really really good. Um, you know what they're doing in the series that they're racing in. And jumping from series to series, it's, um, you know, probably unlikely that it's, it's 100% after one or two years in that series, you're going to be much more well-rounded in terms of your understanding of that particular series. And you would be like on day one, year one in a series. So it's not that it couldn't be done. And it's not that, you, you know, I, I have no idea. I'm sure it could be very, very competitive, but like he's. Right now, what we know for sure is he's in a great car and a great team in a, in a high-profile series, and he's got the opportunity to win racing championships. So to take a risk and go race in another series, you can't you can't underestimate how important the equipment is in motorsport. It's, it's everything, right? So if you find yourself in a good, good situation, a good team, to go and say, okay, I'm going to go and switch and go do something else, is is pretty big risk. That's I guess that would be my point. Is he's in a great situation as it is. Good Point. Um, you yeah. know, why not capitalize on that for a while?
2: yeah i know it's yeah, and, I know. when you were saying what you were saying jack about switching i was like it, it is cold water on the colton hurda discussion but the other discussion that we're going to have here right after this break is all about the other americans that are coming up through who so, are already in europe exactly in europe in the path so all right well let's go ahead and take a break and listen to speed city live from austin texas back after a quick break
0: So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com
6: slash recommend today. As a rider, you know what you like. The power, the feel, the ride. When it comes to gear, you know what keeps you safe. Ducati Austin provides riders with the finest in day and easy leathers. The best the market offers. Visit Ducati Austin on Breaker Lane just east of I-35 and throw your leg over the most iconic sports bike ever built. You Even take it for a test ride. Or see what's been described as art on wheels from MV Augusta. You know what you like. See it at Ducati Austin, online at
3: dacatiaustin.com. Or One in a Million, online at oneinamillion.com. Talk 1370. Hi, this is Jay Leno from JayLenosGarage.com, and you're listening to Speed City. Welcome back to the fastest hour in radio, Speed City.
2: We have our guest, Jack Hawksworth, with us. And, Les, you wanted to ask him about the car he's driving
7: jack i i know of following the technology and and the things that aren't so obvious it it uh anybody that has followed it uh, just about all that's left of that lexus from a few years back is the logo tell (laughs) us about what you're experiencing in the uh, driver's seat with that
5: yeah so i mean obviously this is this is the fifth year for the car racing in in imsa um we took delivery of the car in the 2016 and um I mean, uh, the actual base of the car is, 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 is very similar because with the GT3 rules everything's homologated but various things have changed in terms of uh, you know, we changed ABS systems on the car after 2017 and we've had different tyres on the car since we began racing IMSA so the development in terms of setup and, and and just specifics like that are always different and then alongside that we've had three different teams effectively that have run the car uh, started with 3GT racing in Michigan then moved to uh, Canada and it was uh, AIM Vassar Sullivan and now it's just Vassar Sullivan and and based out of Charlotte. So a lot of different personnel, personnel, a lot of different engineers, mechanics, people with different ideas and things like that, which have helped us to to develop the car to the point it's at today. And uh, it's been a combination of a lot of people, which has, you know, kind of allowed us to uh, make the car a little bit more competitive and uh, compete at the front uh, most weekends.
7: You know, I just got to imagine that, uh, I don't know, where you're based currently, but I can't imagine that accent being too transparent in uh, the Carolinas.
5: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I do have some problems. I can never order at Starbucks. Like, it's, it's just a nightmare. So <laughs> I always get Aaron. to Aaron my teammate. A latte! Give us a
4: latte!
1: <laughs> you ain't from around here. <laughs> <laughs> it's all good.
2: Uh, well, Jack... Um, <laughs> Talk about uh, this, this next, uh, coming up next upcoming race for you, and what your expectations are.
5: Yeah, so our next race is mid-Ohio next weekend. Uh, we've had the first two races of the season, which were the 24 hours a day 12 hours of Sebring, which are the you know obviously the longer races for us. So now we're getting back into the shorter sprint races. It's at a track we've been really successful at the last few years. Lexus have won three in a row there, um, and I've I've won I've been part of the winning team at the last the last two races uh, last two races there. So it's one that we have pretty high expectations on. It's one which our car works very well at, so we feel we feel pretty good at it, good about it. The start of the season for us, results wise, hasn't been you know where we where we hoped it would be, um, but it's not been through kind of a lack of performance. The cars have been really quick at both Daytona and Sebring, Uh, but through various issues, we've just not actually managed to get the result yet. So we see this as a really important weekend to kind of kickstart the season at a track where, you know, we've been very competitive at and and off the back of two races where the car's been very, very quick. We're we're hoping for for a a big weekend.
7: Well, you're certainly going to the opposite end of the spectrum from those two races. Uh, Meadow High is a beautiful course, and uh, I got to think, with the misses that you mentioned or the shortcomings you've coming do you think Meadow High will play to those benefits will play into that being a, a something a strong point instead
5: yeah i think so we've we've won i say we've we've been very successful in the past few years um and we feel like we've moved the game on a little bit this year we feel like we've got a better understanding of the of the car and and the tires and as a team uh, it's my second year together with Aaron It's driving together. So we've, we've got a very good relationship. Um, myself, Aaron, engineer Jeff and, and the rest of the team. So we feel that we're, we're in a really strong position. Um, and these, these sprint races tend to, I guess, sort themselves out in terms of pace order a little bit more than sometimes the longer races do with the longer races, like a dayton 24 sieving 12. Mm. It's, Anything can happen, you know. There's so much time for stuff to stuff to go wrong, and to win one of those races, everything has to go perfect on the day. Um, and we just we just didn't manage to do that at the first two the first two rounds this year. But with it with it being a spin race, I expect it to be a more kind of normal race. It's going to be more about um, you know qualifying and then and then speed during the race. So we feel we feel pretty good about it. We're, we're excited about it, and we really need to kind of keep the season off um, next weekend. That so G T
1: D class racing in particular, in IMSA, has just grown and grown and grown. And you mentioned that you're running a, a GT3-based car. Um, how do you explain this uh, this explosive growth in the GT classes? And uh, what does it mean for the future? Will this continue to rise?
5: Yeah, I hope so. I think that IMSA is in a really good position. And I think that GTD, in terms of looking at, into next year and looking looking beyond in terms of maybe this convergence between GTLM and, and, and GTD as it as it stands today, I think is a really good thing for the sport. Um I think it's just a good place for manufacturers to be. You know, we're racing the cars which essentially they are based very much off the production vehicle that you you buy and drive off the forecourt. You know, the car we're racing, the RCF GT three car, the the power plant in the car and, and things like that are all very much you know, as you would buy off the road, obviously a lot of the car is uh, <laughs> is, is very different. But the actual heart of the car and the uh, the philosophy behind it is the same as the as the street going version. So for all these manufacturers who we're competing against, um, and, and I think in IMSA in GTD there is like eleven different manufacturers. There's obviously the Lexus, you know, Porsche, Lamborghini, um, Audi, BMW. We're racing against a lot of different manufacturers. Ferrari. Um, I think for the manufacturers it's great because they get to showcase the the road car which is you know which is racing on a, on a circuit it's something that they all you know which is based off what they sell so i think that 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 kind of uh i think that's kind of the reason behind the growth.
2: well jack we're going to send jonathan green up to mid ohio to <laughs> monitor your activities and
5: your... i thought you're going to say <laughs> yeah, yeah I, I, i'm
4: looking forward to seeing you on the podium my friend
5: <laughs> i hope so mate Bring I'll be on. there. I'll
4: have a pint. Oh. I'll have a pint of a, a bitter for you, but you haven't had one of them for a while. Well, I, I want to ask. Jack, I
2: want to move back to the Americans moving sure. up through the ladder, and I want to get Jack's take on this because, well, Jonathan, you've been pushing this. We've been talking about this this entire week about with F I F three launching this week, and these Americans. And let's run down that list again because we've got. Let me bring that back up because we've got Logan Sargent. In fact, I'm going to look at the standings right now. Because in uh, in FIF three, you got Logan Sargent, who's an American, uh, in tenth, and then you got Jack Crawford in thirteenth. Juan Manuel Correa, of course, we all know his story; he's in fifteenth, and then we have uh, Enzo Fittipaldi, who's racing a Brazilian, but he's born in Miami. He's an American, so we're taking him as an American. And then we have uh, in twenty fifth, Kaelin Frederick. Yeah. So we have five American. When's the last time? We've had five Americans in the true ladder to Formula One. I mean, and Kalen Frederick has a crossover with Jack because of Pelfrey.
4: Is that right?
5: Jack, is that right? Yeah, I I did race for Pelfrey. I didn't realize that uh, he did. I I dropped for Team Pelfrey back in 2012. Yeah, there you go.
4: But, uh, you know, this goes back to what Bob was saying and and certainly what Jack was saying is, you know, uh, the most likely to succeed out of that group, which is the real question, is it not, um, is Logan Sargent for the simple reason that he has been in Europe for the large part of his career, starting with carding just as Jack did. Um, And, you know, he he is acclimatized, if you will, to the European way and, in fact, lost his way a little bit when he was due to go to f 2 uh, this season, and it all fell apart and he didn't get the drive. He came back to the States. He also didn't really kind of fit, he, You know, didn't find a fit, perfect fit here. And he's managed to go back with Cherus, uh Racing, which is not a bad team, uh, and likewise has been joined by Enzo, who also... Uh, was having a, a rough time of it because he was coming back to the States to go to F4. I saw him at the first F4 race. He's younger than Pietro. Um, and obviously he too has been with his brother um, in Europe for for some time. So, you know, those two uh, are the more likely... Then again, you take Jack Crawford, who's a Red Bull junior, right now. Uh, and that bodes well. If you're in that camp, that bodes well. Juan Manuel career, different career, so to speak, uh, because of the injury and so on. Um, the question mark is out, and, and this is a great thing for him to do, which is to come back and go back to FIA f 3 uh, and see if he can rebuild his career. I think he could, um, and I think he's made the right decision. So they've all got a different story, but you'd have to say right now on paper, Logan Sargent is the most likely. Yeah, Jack, um, do you agree with that? First of
2: all, you agree that, I mean, because I was going to th- say potentially one Manuel Correa, but I just don't know where he is in his... Right. We're going to get him on the show. We're going to get as many of these guys on mm-hmm. the show as we can in the next couple of weeks. But Jack, what do you think about L- Jonathan's assessment of Logan being the, the most likely one to move up quickly?
5: Um, well, I don't know all of the guys that you just mentioned, but um, I do know Logan a little bit, and he was I think he was pretty successful last year, right, in, in mm. Formula, yeah. Formula 3. So that, that always boards well. And then the, um, Jack Crawford, was it who you yeah. said was on the Red Bull program? I think that just being a part of probably being a part of that program is, um, I would have thought a pretty good opportunity in terms of opening doors and things to kind of get into, um, get into formula one. So yeah, I would have said probably pretty good, a uh, pretty good assessment there based on kind of my limited knowledge of, uh, of what's been going on.
2: Okay. I got a question for you, Bob Varsha. Um, <laughs> What do you think about how we got here? How, uh, d- so you, the Liberty Media has been saying it. Everyone's been saying it. We've been saying it, that we need American drivers. Do you think we got here with uh, people, you know, Americans listening, going, hey, there is an opportunity to make a massive impact to the sport? Uh, or is it people behind, with money getting behind it? Is it a little bit of everything? How do you think we got here all of a sudden with five drivers in FIF3?
1: well um it's fun to speculate about i think maybe the growing popularity of formula one may be catching some of these drivers eyes i mean jack made a great point earlier and that was you know when a guy gets to colton Herta's level right now colton's a very young man but he's having tremendous success at the top of the heap in american motorsports he's Mm -hmm. making good money it's you know he's 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 tied by a golden chain, you might say, the way (laughs) the guys before him who tested Formula One cars, Al Unser Jr., Rick Mears, Jeff Gordon, on and on and on. Michael Andretti. Um, I remember when my old TV colleague, Danny Sullivan, was running the Red Bull driver selection program way back when. Mm -hmm. And he told me, Red Bull's not looking for early 20s guys that they can develop. They're looking for teenagers. They're looking (laughs) for, you know, 16-year-olds that they can that they can educate and groom in the way that Jack is talking about. You need to run the tracks. You need to learn the cars. You need to learn the competition. And it's tough to ask a guy who's a big star over here to suddenly, you know, try a, try a Michael Andretti and jump right at the deep end overseas. So, you know, I think these young guys all have a shot. I mean, obviously we all know their need. The funding, you know, they're going to have to find that in order to advance their careers or go you know, under the wing of some Formula One team that has the resources and is willing to spend it on them. Um, you know, it, it's going to be fascinating to watch. Of course, their interest has to maintain high, has, has to be high as well. Uh, I don't know how many of these young guys are, you know, sleeping in the back of their rental cars or all the things that we heard today's stars talk <laughs> about doing in their early days. Um But it's a, you know, it's a complex equation, bringing these kids up and and finding that one needle in a haystack who goes on to be a a Grand Prix star.
2: All right, gentlemen, we need to take a quick break. And when we come back, we'll continue our discussion about the American influence in Formula One. You listen to Speed City and we'll be back after these messages.
9: Talk 13.7, the right choice.
4: Hey, this is Tony Stewart. You're listening to Speed City.
3: Welcome back to the fastest hour in radio, Speed City.
2: All right, welcome back to the show. I want to pause the, the fun a little bit and have talk a little bit about Three time Indianapolis winner Bobby Unzer passing away at the age of 87. And I want to get, want to get your take on that, Bob Varsha.
1: Well, you know, it's obviously a, a very, very sad piece of news. Uh, Uncle Bobby was a very strong character, and a huge personality, something, you know, every racing series really needs in these days of corporate vanilla. You know, don't go out and say anything controversial or whatever. Bobby was always ready to tell you exactly what was on his mind. And it's kind of appropriate we talk about him here because Bobby did have a very brief dalliance with Formula One. He, back in 1968, entered three races, had to withdraw from two of them because he was also running a USAC schedule. And he was told by the governing body over in Europe that he could not race in a Grand Prix if he had run a USAC race within the previous I forget, twenty-four 20, or forty-eight hours. Twenty-four. He finally, get into a Grand Prix, driving a BRM for the Owen Racing Organization, nineteen sixty-eight at Watkins Glen, but the engine let him down. Uh, there's a there's a great story about Americans, particularly stars like Bobby Unser, coming to race Formula One in the United States. Uh, Tim Considine uh, wrote a terrific book about Yanks in Formula One, and it's uh, it's worth a read. But you know, Bobby was. Was one of a kind and, and certainly missed. Mm.
7: Yeah, you know, one of the things I know we all know him for the three-time indie wins, but something that he did mm. that actually struck me as something much more just powerful is his dozen Pikes Peak International Hill Climb wins mm. in the a dirt dozen. days. Wow, in the dirt days too, and yeah. uh, he he set records. He drove everything crazy. He was one of the ones that would take a sprint car and reconfigure a sprint car to rip up the mountain but to do it a dozen times i mean he was the king of the mountain for the longest
4: time there i i have one memory i i got i, I used to do uh, the 500 for sky sports and it was really basically to do the media day on the thursday so i was kind of free if something really you know interesting happened then sure they might come to me but i'd have the rest of the weekend off and i, me- I remember spending a good part of, of of a weekend, almost, with Bobby and his wife. And my abiding memory of him not only was he a superstar and so gracious; he was funny, <laughs> really funny. We had oh, a yeah. laugh. We, you know, and, and he he just he didn't care who you were. He if you were in his presence, you were one of the gang. Huh.
7: You know, I, absolutely, Jonathan. Uh, Jonathan and I went to the hundredth together. And it was so amazing that, uh, Jonathan was immediately recognized from a plane plane flight the previous year. <laughs> Weren't y'all on the plane together and mm-hmm. Bobby heckled each other. And, and then, so we run into him down. On no, pit that lane. was
4: big Al. Oh, that was Al. That was, that was ah, Al. Okay. I got, I got an autograph. <laughs> yeah.
7: And so anyway, we're on pit lane and Bobby is exactly that. It's yeah. Yeah. you're my new friend and have fun. And, uh. Anyway, uh, we spent uh, the
4: day slagging off Danica Patrick to put it in perspective. <laughs> so there you go.
7: <laughs> but uh, I want you all to look at this photograph uh, that I'm proud I took, but it was so neat to see Jonathan meet Bobby and have that chat on Pitt Lane. Uh, yeah, you pretty you cool. just captures We tweeted the fun that they were having. Yeah, yeah. yeah, go to our Twitter
2: and
4: check he, it out. He's one of the greats, um, you know, and 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 history will show the Unza family. I mean, you know, we talk about the Fittipaldi's and we talk about the Andretis, but the Unzas, absolutely. Yeah. No doubt.
2: Motorsports royalty, for Absolutely. sure. Yeah. Well, I want to go back to the discussion on American influence in Formula One. And it's something we touched on in the pre-race show, but it was so good. If you didn't hear this, I, I want to talk about it because, you know, they have these investor calls on Fridays uh, throughout the year. And the Formula One, at Formula One, they have these investor calls. And Formula One CEO Stefano Domenicali said the sport had been working with teams on trying to find ways of identifying American drivers. And and doesn't expect to see one on the grid in the next few years, and uh, you know it is. um, I, I think I hate to say it, but that's probably the most realistic. And going back to what our guest Jack Hawksworth said a few minutes ago, that it is hard to yank someone or to to jump right out of like Colton to jump right out of IndyCar, especially with, with the success he's having. But um, but I do like the fact that this is a very this is a topic right in the middle of these investor calls. And uh, and he goes on to further to say we're working with teams to really try and understand what's the possibility for American drivers to come to the attention of Formula One teams. And he says uh, this could come. I don't think being very pragmatic or realistic and it's coming in the next two to three years. But yes, after that, maybe maybe that's what he's looking at is FIA Formula Three.
4: Yeah, I mean, you know, the possibility is so much greater now that the FIA are part of the US system in terms of F4 and F3, and there are super license points available. Um, that is a huge step that's only happened in the last couple of years. Yeah, good Honda, point. Honda have stepped up, and I'm sure Jack would would, would have uh, would have loved this opportunity if he'd had the time, uh, if he'd come to America earlier, and the opportunity to get into Super Formula in Japan is on offer to win uh, the F3 championship now. And so what I'm getting at is you could follow in the, in the footsteps of uh, Alex Palau and, uh, you know, um, Pado Award and go to Japan and be racing just as Gasly has done. To great effect and 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 make it that way um but the fact that you can get super license points now in the usa uh, and funnily enough you know Carl kirkwood who raced with jack as well another one who could have gone that path it's unlikely um and he'll make his way here um but you know we've got talent is what i'm saying uh here in the states that is world class
2: yeah and you know we've talked all about on the pre-show we talked all about money in formula one how it drives everything well with the success of Netflix yeah popular you know making the show popular with ESPN broadcasting literally everything from F3 to F2 to Formula 1 everything all weekend long you get every single one there's money there's there's eyeballs on this which mm-hmm. means money which means maybe this could really happen but and, and speaking of the Netflix series Jack I want to ask you Jack Hawksworth I want to ask you about uh, in the United States, this Netflix has really caught the attention of the American fan. What about uh, you know back home and everywhere else? Are you seeing the same kind of uh, uptake as we have been seeing with Netflix?
5: Yeah, I think that uh, it's just kind of brought Formula One and motorsport to a broader broader audience, right? Because you're always going to have your your hardcore your hardcore fans, your hardcore racers who are watching and, and kind of up to date and everything. But what the the Netflix series does is it, it 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 it's looks like a soap opera. It's like a soap opera, right? <laughs> so as much as it's about the cars and the racing and everything, when you watch the Netflix series, there's a you know there's a story behind it all, and uh, it's all about what's going on off the track, the politics of it, all that kind of stuff. And I don't think for people who don't know motorsport, they don't really realize, especially Formula One, which is uh, you know like a Shark Tank, right? They don't really understand. They don't really know how. How much politics and how much you know drama there is in the background before the cars even go onto the circuit. So I think that series has done a really good job of uh, kind of bringing that side of stuff to uh, to a bigger audience. And I mean, I've been surprised myself. You know, many people who will come, will, will come up to me, um, you know, my friends and things like that, who had never followed racing before or followed it very, very you know, occasionally if, if the Formula One's on the TV on a Sunday afternoon or something. Um, oh yeah, I've watched the the uh the the drive to survive series and you know it was great and like it really has it's got out to a lot of people who would not normally watch watch motorsports so i think it's been a it's been a good thing
7: you know i mentioned to the guys off air the other day that i've got a neighbor who is mildly interested in the cool cars that roll up to my house (laughs) not that i can afford them but anyway and so that spurred things and they started watching the the F1 series on, on Netflix. And what was so cool was the husband actually got in trouble because he watched an episode without the wife sitting next to him to watch it too. <laughs> and again, this is somebody who had near zero motorsports interest, but they're now hooked and so much that he gets in trouble if he cheats on his wife and watches one more episode <laughs> without her. Yeah. And and I mentioned ESPN,
2: but the, the numbers are up. And uh, apparently up... Fifty percent after the first three races this year. So this, I mean, it's it, we've seen the little spikes here and there. But this is looking like we really have some uh, major
4: bump in in viewership, you know, and the other side of it, you know we can talk about drivers and and we've you know, we've pinpointed the fact that, you know, it is hard to to leave a cushy place, which is America. Uh, especially, as Bob said, you know, when someone like Colton's earning decent money, you know, people like Jack coming from 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 a, from abroad, you know, it's so much tougher in England. Uh, and and have found, as many other uh, English drivers have, a home here in the States. But I do think that, forget the drivers for a second, because it is such a, a global sport and it's hard for Americans to make that transition. Not that it's impossible, but the fact that we could potentially have three Grand Prix and we just saw this story, Roger P- Penske saying that he has had several discussions yes. with Domenicali about and Roger Penske will, will bring yeah. a Formula One race yeah. going if he happen. wants it. If <laughs> Roger Penske says it, it's like EF Hutton.
2: He,
7: <laughs> <laughs> people yeah. are going to listen. People don't know who that is but anymore.
4: Three Grand Prix's is, is a rock compared to what we've had in the past. Yeah.
2: All right, guys, Well, we got to take a break. Uh, first of all, I want to wish all the mothers out there happy
4: Mother's yeah. Day. absolutely.
2: And y'all are going to have to do the rest of the show without me because I'm going to go see my mother. She's an hour away in small town. Tents. Oh, you're
4: just going to one-up us because so, like, we're just useless. Exactly. Huh? I'm going to bail
2: on you guys to go see my mom.
4: So, I'll be
7: in the doghouse.
2: All right, we'll be back after a quick break.
9: austin's talk 1370
3: hello to everyone this is gunter steiner this is speed city welcome back to the fastest hour in radio speed city
4: Welcome back to Speed City, and you can see those two big superstars, one of Netflix, that, of course, is Gunter Steiner, and the other, Billy Joel, who will be playing in concert at Cota this Grand Prix in October. So uh, get your tickets now. Get ready for that. Um, We are delighted to have both Jack Hawksworth with us via Zoom and we've of course got Bob Varsha. We've been talking about the subject of Americans in Formula One, and we've been talking also um, about the, you know the investment that Americans are making in Formula One, and how much influence from Zach Brown to uh otmar safnar and so many others um and then the canadian influence as well obviously with uh stroll etc uh and les talking of coda you were you were out there were you yesterday
7: yeah i was out there yesterday uh big proponent of make a wish and i uh, gotta thank in particularly uh the team at coda that uh helped deliver wish day and uh andre was a ferrari racer at only six years old <laughs> His pit crew was a little bit younger. His pit crew was four years old, but we had a fantastic time making a a dream and a wish come true for Andre. And, buddy, we wish you the best.
4: There you go. Thank you for that, and uh, yeah, we'll be keeping you up to date on all things Cota as it appears. But I'm really excited for Cota. They had a miserable pandemic year. Uh, they came out of it by putting on drive-through uh, vaccinations, of which I am a recipient. Very delighted. So, thank you, Mr. Epstein, um, for g- for getting us in there and for letting so many of you. You let Austin him community- take a needle to you? No, not him. Oh, okay. Um, but uh, <laughs> but um, no, I, I mean, really successful um contribution that they made with Seaton um and. And helped a lot of folks out in Austin.
7: Up up to the capacity of, I think it was right at 10,000 a day. A
4: day. Pretty impressive, yeah. and they got to those numbers too. The amazing. experiment weekend that I was part of, the first one, um, was you know to see how it would went. Got three thousand without really any marketing or anything else. So a really yeah. good and like I said, a first real feel good story. We had the NASCAR press conference the other week. It felt like the the world had suddenly changed, and and, and we were back. But uh, talking of being back, let's let's start with Bob for a second. Um, Bob, I mentioned Penske um, and I mentioned Indianapolis. If well, Miami is going to be reality now. Code is already uh, a strong thing, and that's something we didn't really have, a proper home, an FIA grade one track. We've got that now. Um, will a third potential race finally push us over the edge? I
1: think it could very well happen for all the reasons that have already been mentioned. I mean, if Roger Penske wants to bring Formula One back to Indianapolis, I don't think you'd get any pushback from... Um, from the rest of the Formula One world. I mean, let's face it, this is the United States. Every manufacturer of every product imaginable wants to be in the United States market, and the teams all wanna be here. The uh, the manufacturers, the constructors that, that they back, they want to sell cars in the United States. So we've had three races in the US before, back in 82 with Long Beach, uh, the short-lived Dallas race, and Detroit. Um, and as you say, we've got real, purpose-built grade one facilities now in CODA and uh, a a great street race in Prospect at Miami. So why not go back to the most famous racing circuit in the world at Indianapolis and complete the trifecta? It, It certainly makes sense to me and I'd love to see it happen.
4: Yeah, I, I think it is exciting times. If you don't know the history of Formula One in the United States, it's kind of you know it had a home with Watkins Glen for a while, and then we did a few street races here and there from Dallas to Las Vegas to to, to so on and so forth. Right. But really, this last decade has cemented um, both a relationship with a with a crowd here, and we, we just mentioned the ESPN figures uh, going up. But um, yeah. the logistics,
7: of, the logistics of a calendar with that many races, and I'm going to add in montreal and mexico Mm -hmm. city i worry that that will dilute it but somebody responded to a comment when i put that online and they said look at some of the races geographically in europe and they're not much different in proximity to each other so it seems to be working over there sans pandemic so i I'm hoping it'll work here too.
4: Well, I'll tell you what. You know, you talk about um, you know proximity. The, the, the Montreal race has been what June the 9th, June eleventh for forever, yeah, and it's a re- Bob will tell you it's a really popular race. Um, yeah. And I think Miami is now being lined up to be next to it, either before or after, and that bodes well for the. You know, if I were a European wanting to go to two really good races, those those could be a heck of a of a, a two uh, trip trip, uh, don't you think?
7: Oh, yeah. But of course, Austin is penciled in. It's going to happen anyway. We've got to come to Austin.
4: Let's go back to Jack. Jack, um, you had a theory we were talking in the break, uh, and I I like it, um, about who is most likely. I said Logan because of both his background and the fact that he's been in Europe and he's been successful in Europe. But tell me your theory on who you think or what kind of driver could make it uh, from America into Formula One.
5: Well, I think my kind of theory on it is with, with Formula One, especially at the minute, and this is from the outside looking in, right? Just trying to, trying to theorize a little bit, but uh, it's, it seems that in Formula One, the only way to, to end Formula One is to almost be pulled in from the outside, right? So the, the way I think it happens is, and I think three races in America, like you're talking about Miami, Texas, and uh, Indy would be fantastic. The Drivers Survive series, the interest is on the up. I think it takes somebody like a Red Bull saying, right, we want to have a fast American driver in Formula One. And this as you were saying earlier on the show, there's lots of very talented kids coming coming up through the ranks in America. There's you've got a you've got a ton of them to choose from. What it really takes is somebody like Red Bull saying, We want to make this happen and we're going to take this kid, we're going to develop him, and then we're going to put him in a, a proper team in Formula One, which is going to give him a chance to show what he can do. And then obviously, you know that next step hopefully to the to you know to the, to the to the premier team so i do think it can happen um but i think that it's it's got to be a guy who is being pulled in because it seems the only guys who get to formula one nowadays are it's either you're either part of one of these driver programs of which there, there are very very few of them or it's a guy who's you know bringing substantial amounts of money to to to, to be there so i think it can happen and i think that the the market, the way it is right now, and the interest level in America going up, I think that there's there's probably probably will perk somebody's interest, like a Red Bull or something like that, and they'll try and make that happen. So, I feel like that'll be the way that way that this thing thing goes, and uh, that's probably, in my opinion, where the uh, the next kind of Formula One star will come from uh, out of America, and it's the, the right way to get a success, have a successful one as well, because what you don't really want is a guy who's, you know, coming in. In a team which is not competitive, you know what, how, what will spark the interest of Americans is if they have a driver who is competing at the front, who is in a good team and is is able to compete for podiums and and wins and that that kind of thing. If they're, they're running around in an uncompetitive team, you know finishing 16th, 17th, and I don't actually know if that does a whole lot um, for the sport in America. It needs to be an American guy in a good team. Uh, who, who you know? Who was able to compete and, and give somebody you know, give the Americans somebody to cheer for because Americans love cheering for the Americans, right? And winners, you know, <laughs>
4: just, <laughs> yeah. Alexander, good, Alexander Rossi, good example. Um, great driver, as he's proving now in Indy. Um, but he was never going to uh, spark an interest in the states racing for Catrum. Yeah. No, yeah. exactly.
5: It's not nothing. It's just they're not. If you're racing for a team like that, it's you're, you're not competitive, and there's no interest in it. So um, it has to be. Somebody in a in a proper team, able with the opportunity to get proper results. That'll be the way that it grows. I think.
7: You know, the y'all said a couple of things there. Some are bringing money. We want the Americans. We got to perform good. So if we had a somebody bring in a bunch of cash and have an American team, I mean Williams has an American American influence know, in yeah. it now. Yeah. What if we had an American come into Williams? Williams is certainly showing better now. We've always focused on Haas since conception of haas yeah but uh that's a possibility how quick do you think somebody would get behind an american being with williams to me williams is williams is a kindred experience of formula one history for me you know frank and everything that he went through to get there and uh you know his career before he was in a wheelchair was was on its way up mm-hmm. and there's a lot of things there that I want Williams to stay Williams-named, for one. Mm-hmm. And getting an American in, onto the Williams team, I think might be another alternative to Haas.
4: Yeah. Well, I, I tell you what, the one, the one guy we haven't really m- talked about, Pietro Fittipaldi, stepped in to the Haas team last year when Roma Grosjean could not race after, the, after that accident and did a, a sterling job. He has all the capabilities, having raced in Europe, um and is now back in Indy more due to the fact that um you know there wasn't really a seat for him per se um but we haven't i don't think we've seen the best of pietro he's got the name bob your thought um pietro filipaldi in indycar now um but he's got all the credentials that we've been talking about and of course he's got that famous name yeah that's
1: true um and and i frankly don't know and probably shouldn't speculate about you know whether the Pietro's career path to this point. Certainly, he is a recognizable figure. Um, as to uh, you know what he's accomplished thus far, and whether that merits consideration for a you know a big step up uh, on the racing ladder, I I don't know, frankly. Um, but he certainly has the name. Uh, he has a great personality, and um, yeah, if he can if he can put up a lap time, he'd be a great addition.
4: Yep, and uh, so there's lots to talk about. Uh, Get your tickets to F1 if you haven't. Um, You've been listening to Bob Varsha, Zooming In, and he'll be with us again, I'm sure, for Monaco, which is coming up on May 21st to 23rd. It is the crown jewel of Formula One, and join us for that. My thanks to Jack Hawksworth, for the Vasa Sullivan Lexus team, he'll be racing at Mid-Ohio, uh, who he is a winner at the last two times. So watch out for IMSA really getting underway, having had the 24 hours and the 12 hours. But IMSA hits the ground running at Mid-Ohio next weekend. So join Jack and the boys. Uh, my thanks to Les Kaiser. And uh, I can't believe just John's just upped us on that. I'm going to go and see my mother. I'm sure you're going to go and see your – I mean, you know – It's Mother's Day. Happy Mother's Day to all the mothers out there. We're running out of time. Don't forget, uh, plenty coming to COTA, including Billy Joel. If you haven't already bought your tickets, that's what's happening in October at COTA. My thanks to Bob Varsha, Jack Hawksworth, and Les Kaiser. I'm Jonathan Green. And for John Massengale, who's popped off, he'll be back next week. Ciao, y'all.